Let's welcome Jeeves as he comes and speaks this morning. Well, welcome. Happy New Year. That's it, I've done my bit. I don't need to say it again today. Um, my name is Jeeves, I'm one of the elders here, um, and it's a great joy that you are with us this morning. Normally a first Sunday back, or normally one of the first preachers back, you would normally get a preacher do a kind of New Year resolution preach. They would go something like this. So, New Year's resolutions are odd, aren't they? Often it's either about losing weight, or looking at technology less, or trying to improve yourself a little bit more, better health, or silly things like stop trolling on the internet, those type of things. Bit odd, really, for us to consider New Year's resolutions. Well, I think we should start the new year with a resolution to do with Jesus. And I think we should read our Bibles more, I think we should pray more, and I think we should really honour Jesus this year in our resolution. How often are you going to pray this year, church? How often are you going to read your Bible, church? Come, let's commit to all this stuff that we're going to do this year and judge ourselves in a week. Cheers. <laughs> Great. Well done. I'm done. Here, yeah, let's go. <laughs> it's true, isn't it, though? Like, often at the beginning of the new year, we have kind of these things, or even in our individual homes, we have these commitments at the beginning of the year. How many people are doing the, the Bible, uh, Bible in a Year plan run by Nicky Gumbel? Yeah, because some of us... Yeah, how many of you are already delayed by a day? <laughs> Some of us, yeah, come on, Jackie. Some of us, look, my point is this, right? I think if I was to stand here and give a New Year's resolution preach, truthfully, a whole whirlwind of judgment would be seeped underneath it, of us just feeling, oh, I've got to commit to a whole bunch of stuff, and tomorrow is another day that I don't know what I'm going to do with it. So please know, I'm not doing that type of preach. Oh. That works out. However, though I don't believe God does annual resolutions, I do believe he does commitments and covenants to us. And I really feel that as I, I'm about to describe, I think, quite a hilarious moment, I felt God directly speak to me about something that is part of a commitment and covenant to him that I believe both by preaching and a little bit of prophecy and a little bit of prophetic, I want to share with us as a church. Not for us to have a New Year's resolution, but for us to have a commitment to Christ. That's my aim. Yeah? Do you want to hear the story? Wow, none of you do. Okay. Ian, come up. Let's close it. Do you want to hear the story? I think it's funny. Okay. So, at Christmas time, we gave our little boy, Julia Jive, 13 months old at the time, chocolate. Now, at this moment, we, we, Catherine presents this bar to him and he grabs it in his hand and first drops it because you know that's what babies do like oh, what's this great this drop it so like no no have it eat it and he takes it and he puts it in his mouth and I've never seen eyes widen so much in my life <laughs> with great gratitude like just popping up being like <laughs> and truthfully my mum says she's going to tell me off for calling her, her grandson this but it was like Gollum in Lord of the Rings suddenly a merger to that precious like, like putting his hand out like that and in that moment God spoke to me who would have thought right and I feel God says to me directly as my boy is reaching out licking his lips I felt him say how hungry are you for me how hungry are you for me and I really feel that's Julia there. Um, and I really feel that I just want to explore this question. Two parts, here's what I'm going. Number one, what earth does this question mean? 
What does it actually mean? And number two, what do we do about it? That's, that's, that's today. How hungry are you for me? How hungry are you for God? So first one, hungry for God. What's actually me? Well, the reality is all of us need food. We all need to be nourished. Christmas was a time full of family and arguments and food. Like that's, that's what Christmas is. What are you doing today after church? Lunch. Some of you who are still sticking to New Year's resolutions probably go for a walk and then lunch. Yeah, so we're all having food. We all eat. If you talk to Ian Lethington, it's cheesecake and Jesus. Those are the two. Yeah, food and Jesus. By the way, if Ian comes up and says he likes cheesecake, don't make him one. It's fine. I'm helping you this year. Yeah? I rebuke that. Just be aside, Ian always stands up and says he likes cheesecake and somehow people make him some. I like champagne, church. Hello? Yeah? Uh, maybe something, thank you. Maybe something, there we go. Every one of us, the reality is we all need food. We all need to be nourished. And as we nourish our bodies, the Bible uses the same analogy for our souls and our spirits. It uses the exact same analogy as our bodies need nourishing, our souls and spirits need nourishing. In fact, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, as he talks about the body and avoiding things that don't nourish your body, in particular he's talking about sexual sin in that sense, but he talks about actually talking about the nourishing of our souls, our nourishing of our bodies. He says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, who you have from God? You are not your own, for you are brought with a price of glorify God in your body. There needs to be something that is done in our body, something that is feeding our souls to honour him. So in the same way as we are nourishing our bodies, we need to nourish our souls. It's the exact same thing. In the Lord's Prayer, it says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread. bread. Give us our daily bread. That analogy is used intentionally to feed on something. We consistently need our souls quenched, fed. And if you're not fed, you become hungry. And when I become hungry, I become hangry. That's a bad kind of knock-on effect. And in the same way, as our souls become hungry, we then fall into hangry behaviour. We fall into things that aren't right. And so it's clear that the Bible is very direct about it, that there is things that need to nourish our soul. Here's the question, what? What nourishes our soul? Well, Isaac Pennington, he's an evangelist who was imprisoned six times for worshipping full of the Spirit. He was imprisoned, by the way, by the church. Funny, right? So he was imprisoned by being full of the Holy Spirit, worshipping by the church, and he writes in his kind of uh, memoirs this about this question of what nourishes our body. He says, Oh friends, feed on the tree of life. Feed on the measure of life and the pure power which God has revealed and manifested in you. Do you know where your real food comes from? Do you remember the taste? Then keep to it and do not meddle with the kind of food that seems desirable to the other eye. The one that promises to make you wise. 
Oh, abide in the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus, in the naked truth that you have felt there. It is there that you will be able to know and distinguish, there you go, your food, which has several names in scripture, but is all one of the same thing. The bread, the milk, the water, the wine, the flesh and blood of him who came down from heaven is all the same food, only it is given to us in different measure, sometimes weaker, sometimes stronger, according to the capacity we have for receiving it, thus it is given different names. What nourishes our soul? There's only one thing. It's the triune God. It's like Lord and Saviour. God the Father and Provider. God the Son and Saviour. And God the Holy Spirit and our Helper. It is the only way we can ever find some food, nourishment, that can actually satisfy the hunger of our soul. Now, if you're really looking for sustainable food, a Big Mac can only go so far. After the 10th one, you'll see it affects not only your cholesterol, your waistline, but also every, every other bit. But after a while, you kind of need to go, you know what? I probably need some vegetables in my life. Like, I probably need like, a healthy diet. And in the same way, we do this with our souls. In the same way, we, we end up kind of feeding ourselves on fast faith or legalistic junk that, that will then not match up to Christ, but we rather feed on it because it's easier, it's instant, rather than go to the source of a healthy diet, which is Christ and Christ alone. In fact, Jesus says in the Beatitudes, oh, I didn't write it up, oh well. Jesus says in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5 verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So the question of what is not how hungry are you for God? The difference is how hungry are you to know about God or to know of God? It's very really easy every Sunday to kind of hear a theological preach and someone kind of speaking stuff or Adam and Chris coming up and sharing prophetic words, which by the way, great answer because it so matches with what I'm preaching on. But it's great to hear that and then kind of go, that's good. I know about God. Thank you very much. See you later. It's really, I'll be very honest with you, it's so easy to know about God. Majority of the world knows about God because of Christmas time. Like, it's, it's really simple. Demons know about God. We get to know of God. We get to dive deeper with God. It's not just understanding spiritual giftings or understanding how to evangelise or the principles that we read or kind of theological depth. It's knowing the deep relationship and unity with God. You can be saved and not be hungry or thirsty for God. I'm let that settle in a little bit. You can be saved. And not be hungry or thirsty for God and miss out. You can be hungry just for scraps or leftovers. It's like going to a, um, a Chinese restaurant and having your meal and, and really just looking forward to the mint at the end. And you, you've got a massive, wonderful meal there, but really what you're looking forward to is the mint at the end. Or it's like um, having your Christmas dinner and having all the turkey and trimmings and everything, and all you're bothered about is the after rate that you get at the end of the meal. <laughs> or the mince pie that is 
tepidly warmed up at the end of the deals. No, I don't like that. Okay, right. Um, well, I'll give you another example from a car we're playing, which I just don't want to have because I don't know if you've been listening. Um, all what you could do is on social media, you, it's very easy to message celebrities now. It's so simple on Instagram or Twitter, this kind of stuff. You can message a celebrity and you, can, you, know, you send them a message and they send something back and you're like, oh, I'm communicating with celebrity. Just because you, you're communicating with them doesn't mean that you know them. A conversation online with someone doesn't mean that you know them. You can be saved and not know of God. Not be hungry for God. Not be thirsty for God. If you know God, you have energy for him. You want to consistently be with him. You want to just speak about him. You have great containment in him. Knowing God means sinking deeper in the love for him. As we look to be filled by him daily. Therefore, you may be saved, but you cannot know of God if you're not filled with the Spirit. It's impossible. It's implausible. We need, we need to look to actually say, if I want to know of God, I need to meet with him and I need to be filled by him <clears throat> daily. The very presence of God is the central fact of Christianity. God himself waiting for his redeemed children to press into close relationship and to be consciously aware of his divine presence. That's the reality of being hungry for God. Are you hungry for scraps? Or are you wanting to feast on God well this year? Are we lethargic and lukewarm, happy for a tepid meal, like the warning to the Laodicea church in Revelation 3? Or do you want to be like David in the desert, where instead of water, he's panting? Psalm 42, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Psalm 63, 1 and verse 5. Oh God, you're my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Which, by the way, David was in. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. We're made to feast on God and then we will feast with God for all eternity. How hungry are you for him this year? That's what the question means. Now, what do we do about it? Well, I think fundamentally the answer of what we do about it is when we recognise the giver rather than the gifts. And I think that's where it really starts. If we look at like, um, if I look on uh, Instagram or I see books and I look at amazing chefs, to use the same humble materials and ingredients that I do, for some reason, their dish looks way better than my kind of mud piles. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think it looks way better. What I don't do is I don't go, oh, wonderful broccoli, thank you for doing your job well. Not go to the chef, wow, how amazing you are to create something like this. Or for example, if I listen to like Ed Sheeran with his guitar and loop pedals, I don't kind of go, oh, loop pedal, thank you for serving us so well, how wonderful. Like, I go, wow, what an amazing musician that Ed Sheeran is. Like after church, how many of you are going to turn up, go to journey and be like, wow, your guitar playing well today? Like, and if you do, 
I rebuke that. Like, don't, don't do it. Like, why would we turn to the material rather than the player? Why would we turn to the gifts rather than the giver? So if you want to be hungry, if we want a place to start, we've got to turn to the giver. We've got to turn to him. Let me remind you, like from September to December, we spent three months healthily, four months healthily, could be about that. In Ephesians 1, 1 to 14, and, and we spent our time, and I'm so glad we did. But if you listen to every preacher, and if you go back to every preacher and listen to them, you would notice the same thing, which is we talked about a spiritual blessing, we talked about something, but our eyes were not directed to that. Our eyes were always directed to the king. It was intentional. Because if we focus on the gift, we forget the giver. I'm not receiving my inheritance from a pauper. I'm receiving my inheritance from a king. From a king. That's what matters. And so if you want to figure out what to do about being hungry for God, you've got to turn your eyes to the king. You've got to turn your eyes to him. But throughout the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, there is instruction of turning our eyes to him with jubilant praise and recognising that. Isaiah 42 this whole thing, it kind of, the, the, literally the chapter 4, what Chris shared prophetically, it says this in 10 to 12, Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth, you who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastline and the inhabitants, Let the desert and its cities lift up the voice, the villages of Kedar inhabits, let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy, let them shout from the top of mountains, let them give joy to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. Tell you what's interesting about this, um, these verses. Kedar and Selah were known as the most gruesome, the, the most dangerous Gentile place in this. And so what Isaiah is saying is literally from the, the, the biggest place that is away from God, let praise erupt from there because he should be glorified. From the bit that is most gruesome, let praise sing out for his marvellous name. I want us, I suppose, I, I want me to be someone who is so hungry after God this year and further that nothing but praise can sing out and ring out for me. Do you know what I mean? I want that to be my focus. And so I think there's three practical ways for how to do this. By the way, what I'm about to go through is no deep theology. I think it's just helpful reminders, if anything. I don't think what I'm about to say is anything deep or (laughs) theologically difficult. I think it's just good. So three things to help us in terms of being hungry for God. Number one, reject the food of this world and repent. Like I, th- I think it's a really helpful thing for me that when I when I spend time going to God, truthfully, I'm so distracted by fast faith and I'm so distracted by other things that I end up feeding on that. Rather than turning to the same God, I genuinely want to turn to you and I want to feed off you. There's a principle in computing, and I think this is probably good for everything else, which is garbage in, garbage out. If I put garbage in, I get garbage out. Same way, if I put garbage into my soul, guess what's going to come out? Garbage. That's what's going to happen. However, I allow the great wealth of God come into my life and feed me, boy, it doesn't make a difference. 
The transformation which God wants us to experience comes from when we allow him to seep into the very fibers of our soul and as we feed on him well. Sanctification, one of our church values that we believe in, sanctification is not just saying, here you go, God, here's my life, and then sitting back and having a glass of wine and watching him do his business. He's taking the glass of wine. No, no, it's, it's saying, God, I give you my all, everything, and I want you to move in my life, so I will obey you, and I will be with you, and I will follow you as you continue to make me like Jesus. So to make me like Jesus, God, fill me afresh by your spirit as you are always with me. It's saying all of me is yours and I'm going to follow in obedience. And as God combs things and he takes things and he removes things and he makes me more like Christ, I'm being obedient with him every step. It's not standing afar, it's drawing close. To do that, you've got to reject stuff in the world and you've got to turn your eyes to Jesus. That's what repenting is. Feels like a very difficult word. This is an important word. It is difficult. But it's saying, I want to turn my eyes to Jesus and reject everything else. He is my leader, I want to follow. Francis Chan comes on this topic and he says this sometimes we earnestly seek after things from God rather than God Himself. It is hard for us to imagine anyone leaving the presence of the living God, the maker and sustainer of heaven and earth, and looking for something better. God should be an addiction, not an addition. First thing, reject the world is trying to get you to feed on and turn your eyes to him. Second thing, actively digest our daily bread, not passively. Diving into the world, the word, and allowing the Holy Spirit to come through us and to feed us well. It's not just passive munching or chewing the curd like cows. It's not like just kind of gnawing away on something. It's diving into the word, diving in and meditating on it. There might be a chewy bit of meat that we've got to keep on digesting and understanding, but it's diving into it. Similar to Isaac Pennington's quote from before. The food might be different for all of us based on the journey that we're going on. That doesn't matter. That's okay. But I think there's two key principles that kind of helps us with this. Number one, be nourished every day. Pouring food to the word of God and you will be fed. So if I need to eat, surely I should dive into the word of God and to chew on it well every day. In every chapter, there's something to get to see God's miraculous glory. Sometimes in youth, we describe it like this. Sometimes the word of God is like a chicken nugget, and sometimes it's like a T-bone steak. Sometimes diving into a word is something that is good, but it's nourishing. But sometimes it's a big bit, and we need to read over it, and over it, and over it, and over it, and over it. Can I just squash a myth? You don't have to rush through the word of God. If you're reading the same verse for two weeks straight, that's wonderful. It's great. The Bible is not something to complete like, like an achievement. Like you're not going to get a badge for it. The Bible is living bread, living food for us to dive in and to enjoy. So please, please do not feel <clears throat> to rush through things. 
If God's captivated you by a verse, if God's captivated you by a chapter, read it and read it and read it and read it and chew and chew and chew and let the word of God nourish your soul well. Thing, second thing, keep moving on to more wholesome meals. So Corinthians talks about, man, you're, you're meant to be drinking, uh, you're meant to move on from milk to bread, but you're still drinking milk. Like it's, it's the idea of taking Judah's baby food and, and saying, you know what, Ian, as a 45-year-old, here's all you're going to eat. That, that doesn't make sense, does it? Like, we need to move on. We need to move on to meals that are more nourishing. They will say, I'm going to be 30 this year, that's why. You need things that are more nourishing. So, so beloved, we're doing stuff this year that is about discipleship because we want to move people forward on on that nourishing journey with God. I dare if don't want to be someone who is just saying, good, you want milk? Good. By the end of this year, I still want you to be on the same thing. No, no, I want us to be nourishing our souls well and moving on from meal to meal. If you, if you feel you're on milk today and all you can digest is one verse, God be praised. My prayer is that the word of God alights in you and by six months time, you're already moved on to your first bit of bread. That's my prayer because I want us to be nourished by the word and to move on actively. That's what happens there. Third thing I think that helps us, proactively engage in the relationships Jesus had paved. I think Jesus really modelled this in his ministry, actually. Number one, he spent time with those who enabled him to feed well. Who have you got in your life this year who who will be with you and enable you to feed on Christ well? Ask you the right questions to be like, man, what's going on? What have you learned? What's God doing in this place? Secondly, Time with those in communities to worship the Father. Look, a New Year's resolution of coming to church more often is not a good hope. But knowing that being with the family of God and worshipping our Father and to nourish on Him together in a community is a great commitment. It will feed you well. How bothered are you about this? Like, I love this building, but I'm more bothered about us as a family of God being in the presence of the living God. I'm really bothered about it. And I feel that actually if I come together as, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, my soul will be nourished. You nourish my soul. You complete my joy, Philippians 2 verse 2. That's what you do. We nourish each other's soul as we turn our eyes to Jesus. How about you? The third thing that Jesus, I think, modeled very well, a time with our heavenly triune God alone. When we meet together, there's a lot to dive into and explore. I do wonder how often we ask each other, how, what has God spoken to you this week about? I wonder, I wonder when we, when we chat together, how much do we talk about sport, whatever, work, but how often do we ask the question, what has God spoken to you this week? I wonder. <clears throat> the only way that happens, God speaking to us, is not in a Sunday service, though God can speak here, is by our alone devotional time with Him. The only way I get to know Catherine better is by spending time with her. The only way I get to know God better is by spending time with Him. The only way that I'm going to satisfy this hunger. Well-being is a word that is thrown around more and more, but I wonder how often we talk about the fellowship with God. 
or devotional relationship. A.W. Tozer in his book called The Pursuit of God, which by the way is £4.12 on Amazon, and it's so good for you. It will nourish your soul better than a cup of coffee can satisfy your taste. It is a good book. And he writes this. This rocked me. So when the Lord divided Canaan among the tribes of Israel, this is obviously the time just after Israel died. When the Lord uh, divided Canaan among the tribes of Israel, Levi received no share of the land. God said to him simply, I am thy part and thine inheritance. And by those words made him richer than all his brethren, richer than all the kings and rajas who ever lived in the world. And there is a spiritual principle here, a principle still valid for every priest of the Most High God. The man who has God for his treasure has all things in one. If you have God, and he's like, if everything gets ripped apart, ripped away, all that kind of stuff, you lose nothing. Because you have everything in him. That's what we're talking about. So here's my question as I come into land. How hungry are you? How hungry are you for God this year? I'm hungry to see joy and delight of God break out and break through in my life. I'm hungry to see the, the mighty presence of God fill his people, to fill us, his temples. I'm hungry from the baptising of the Holy Spirit to pour out on this church and for that to ring out into seven legs. I'm hungry to see the lost saved. Hey, I'm hungry to see the blind see. I'm hungry to see the dead walk. Like I'm hungry to see God move. I'm hungry to see his spiritual wonders and spiritual blessings pour out. I'm hungry to see strongholds broken this year. How hungry are you? I think a good way of starting that and really just kind of going, God, we're hungry for you, partaking in a meal that he displayed to us. It's like to satisfy our hunger our soul by partaking in a meal that satisfies our body. I think as, as uh, Ian was praying this morning and Adam was speaking about fixing our eyes on Jesus and the importance of that, I was just struck by how also Jesus fixes his eyes on, on us and how disciples, when he met them, uh, just walking along the beach, he met them and he said, come follow me and I'll make something of you. And there was, there was a sense of being called, which God has done for each one of us. We've been called to be with him, and we've been called into purpose. And I think God wants to shine that up somehow in our lives today. But we've been called to be with him, and in, the, in our being with him, we're going to be called into purpose. And this, I've never used this illustration before, but it is a part of our lives, Rachel and I. We, we have, we've raised guide dogs. Okay, I've never had a dog before in my life, so why they gave me a guide dog, I don't know. But we've raised guide dogs, and we've raised 25 of them. And one of the things we do with a dog is, first of all, we just let them play in the park and everything. And there comes a day where I actually tie the dog to myself, or Rachel will tie it, and we'll go out for a walk, and we walk in all sorts of different directions. We'll walk down the road, we'll cross, we'll come back, or we'll cross the road sideways. Uh, I'll do all sorts of that, and the dog's sort of looking at me, what the blazes are you doing? And he just keeps looking and looking and looking, and eventually he gets the idea, I want him to fix his eyes on me. And because I want him to, to get from me what I want to do. And so eventually the dog just keeps looking and looking, and, and it must, the dog must think I'm mad, because we're not particularly going anywhere, but nowhere. We're just crossing, going through places, coming back. 
And it's like not the normal walk we do. But there comes a day when I take off the loo and when I go out, the dog is just looking at me all the time. I get to traf- some traffic lights and we're going to cross them. He knows this is the time where he's got to fix his eye. When are we going to cross? And it's interesting, just that whole thing of how I've learned also, sort of like from a dog, that when we fix our eyes on Jesus, what we can do then is we can catch from him what he wants us to be doing. And we can serve him and we can bring glory to him by being all that we can be, which is what a dog ends up being. Yeah, very good. And yeah. so I, I, just, I really felt a sense when Adam was trying to, I think the word would be to uh, implore you or urge you to get hold of that. And Ian in his prayer was very clear as well. I think, I think God wants you to get this. He wants us to fix our eyes on him. It's as simple as that. Fix our eyes on him. Why? Because he wants us to be with him. He called us to be with him, like he called yeah. disciples. But it's not just for that. He called them, come with me and I'll make something of your life. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I want right. to make something of my life yeah, this year. I really do. <clears throat> I mean, in a transition period of, in what God's doing in our lives. And so even more, I want to fix my eyes on him. And I want to, you know, if he starts walking in a different direction, I want to, well, I've got to go over there. I don't want to be dragged by him, by a lead. I just want to be obedient yeah, to him. Yeah. And in the midst of my knowing his presence, that I might know his purpose. It's good, very good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, really good.